Welcome to Acknowledge Dogs. I am your host, Michael Aceta, also owner of Matador Canine Brilliant and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking your time to listen to what I have to say, absorb the new information, and educate yourself on dog training and behavior. Today's topic is about acting natural. How do we act as natural as possible, and how do we use that in our training to make sure that our dogs don't recognize when we're training and when we're not training? Thank you for joining me for the show, and let's jump into it. The Dog Training Cheat Codes is now available at matadorcanine.com. You can download the ebook for your phone or tablet, or if you're like me and you like holding the book, you can order the physical copy. In other news, we are in the beginning stages of launching our dog training planner and notebook, giving you a simple, structured, and effective way to take notes and track your training progress. Right now, that is only available to Matador University students. If you are interested in signing up for Matador University and getting access to not only the dog training planner, but also online courses covering obedience and behavior and other PDF downloads, you can check that out at matadorcanine.com. The last announcement for the day is that we are now selling Matador merch. If you would like to support us as we grow, check out the hats, sweatshirts, and other training gear that we have. Thank you for listening to Acknowledge Dogs. Let's jump into it. So as I began my dog training career, many of the dog trainers I ran into said that they could just act natural around a dog. They could just coexist around a dog. They could read the dog, and they could just do whatever they needed to do in that moment. That's not how I learned how to do dog training. My professors in college that really educated me, right? I wasn't just watching YouTube videos or um, studying dog training clips and reading books. You know, the, the professors that really spent the time to sit down with me and answer my questions and teach me all of these things, they were heavily focused on being objective. How do we measure things? How do we write things down? How do we practice a certain number of repetitions and, and control the reward schedules and everything I talk about on the other episodes of this podcast? But it always lingered in my back of my head, okay, well, you know, dog trainers still have good success when they act naturally and they just respond to what the dog needs. And that's true, but there's a certain balance we have to find between acting naturally and still having a system in place, right? I can't just go into a training session and say, okay, well, I'm just going to see what the dog needs to do in this moment and I'm going to work on it. No, you kind of have to have a training plan. You definitely have to have a training plan, but you have to have an idea of what you're going to do in that session. Otherwise, you might be wasting time. Your dog is going to get confused. Or in most cases, people just end up doing what's easy, right? If your dog is really struggling with a three-minute downstay, but you find it's a lot more fun and easier to run around, play with your dog, and practice excitement and focus, then why would you practice the three-minute downstay? The running around and playing is the reinforcer for you to continue training. And it's easy. You don't have to try too hard. You don't have to think too much. You can just enjoy your time with your dog, which is absolutely called for every single day. <laughs> you should be having fun with your dog every day. But if we're serious about having really well-trained dogs and reliable dogs that we feel safe and confident bringing to new environments, we got to put in the time to train them. But something else happens when we don't have a training plan in place and we try to act natural. When you try to act natural, most people end up acting unnatural. The best example I can give of this, and I've seen thousands of dog owners do it, is when you're told to ignore a dog. Dog's jumping up on you and you say, hey, ignore the dog. The first thing that people do is turn away from the dog or put their head up into the sky and they cross their arms and they become really rigid and stiffed. That is not 
<laughs> acting natural by any means. That's not an acting acting natural at all. My words this morning, my goodness, I'm so sorry <laughs> for everyone who <laughs> listens and is like, oh my God, what is he even saying? I'm so sorry. Let me have a sip of water. Hold on. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. All right, that's better. So acting natural, right? You can't just say you're acting natural and not actually act natural. You have to act naturally. You have to be as if the dog isn't there, especially if you're trying to ignore the dog. If we're ignoring the dog for jumping, that means we don't pretend the dog is there or we don't pretend the dog isn't there. The dog isn't there. You have to get that in your brain. The dog is not there. This is hard when you have a 100-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback trying to you know, lick your face. So how do we do it? How do you act natural? Well, it takes practice. You have to consciously think about acting natural and actually being natural. I like to think about being an actor. I will act as someone who's very similar to my mannerisms and things like that. I used to do this back in the beginning of my training for acting like a leader. That's what people used to say. Oh, well, if you can't be a leader, if you don't feel confident, act like one. I always thought of George Washington. I was like, all right, I'm going to stand nice and tall. I'm going to walk proud. I'm the president of the United States, the first president of the United States. I won the war. You know, that's what I used to think about. Same with Theodore Roosevelt because I love Theodore Roosevelt. So those were mine when I was in my teenage years of, okay, how can I, how can I embody the leadership style? How can I be more confident and stand taller and have this prowess, if you will? And that changed as I learned more about you don't have to be the leader of your dog in an alpha sense, but you have to be the leader in a responsibility sense. So I took the responsibility of figuring out how can I be as natural as humanly possible. And I recorded myself and I studied what I did and I embodied what I thought I should look like if I was just going to act natural. And my dogs picked up on it and they started to respond a lot better than if I was, quote unquote, acting natural. I'm, I'm, I'm unfazed by them. Like, no, you are phased by them. They're jumping on you and you, you brush them off or you gently push them away and you don't think about it because it's a natural response. You don't think about looking away from them when they're looking at you. No, just look straight past them. What is it? The thousand yard stare in the military, right? You're just, you're staring straight no matter what's in front of you. It's a thousand yard stare. Eventually, yes, you're going to be looking like you're looking directly at somebody but in the thousand yard stare, you're looking through them. You're looking straight past them. And it's clear that you're looking straight past them because the person then moves and nothing happens. Right? If you're if you're sitting down watching TV and your dog's jumping up on you and your goal is to ignore them. Now, I'm not saying this is the best training method. I'm just saying for those of you that want to explore the option of just ignoring your dog, which you're more than free to do. If your dog's jumping up on you, you can't push them away. You can't look at them. 
You can't tell them to knock it off. You can't be like, hey, stop, you know, relax. If you're trying to ignore your dog. This is where I have a problem with flooding and, and extinction bursts. There's easier ways to teach them to do the things you want them to do. But I digress. People still do these things, and that's fine. If you're going to do it, you have to 100% do it, right? If it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing, in my opinion. If it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. If you're going to train, you might as well overtrain. Not in a sense of damaging your dog because you've overworked them and physically hurt them. That would be unsafe, right? If you're going to be safe, you better be 100% safe. But if you're going to train them, if you're going to go through the process and actually go through the effort, it's the same amount of effort to teach them to relax on cue as it would be to ignore them. It's just actually easier to teach them to relax on cue and to go through the process of getting off treats and all that kind of stuff. It's the same amount of effort. You're, you're going about it a different way, but it's the same amount of effort. It's just whether you want to put your effort towards being frustrated and having to have a lot of patience versus teaching them the right skills from the beginning and not having to go through the frustration, which I, for me, is a lot more reinforcing than going through the frustration. If training isn't fun, you're not going to want to do it. So you have to find a way to make training easy, fun, and enjoyable for you and your dog. All right? we, we focus so much on the dog, sometimes we forget that it should be still reinforcing for us. If it's not reinforcing, you're not going to continue to do it. If it is reinforcing, you are going to continue to do it. That's why whether it's fun for the dog or not, dog owners will still do a training. They could do agility when the dog really doesn't like it. I've seen owners do agility for years and the dog just is no good at it, doesn't really like it, fails at it every time, but the owner loves it. And so they drag the dog along and the dog's fine. The dog's enjoying the company, but you know, I digress. We're going on a tangent here. <laughs> We're going off on a tangent. We got to get back on acting natural. So this morning, I took my dogs out to go to the bathroom. We come back in. We go to do some breakfast. And I was thinking, okay, maybe I should do a video. I'll post it on the internet, uh, on the TikToks and the YouTubes. I'll make a video of me feeding my dogs and something happening. Now, this is, in my brain, a natural response. I have a two-year-old child trying to make him breakfast at the same time. I got to get ready for work and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm running around doing all this stuff. And I'm sure you can relate to that, right? We go to feed our dogs and something happens. We get distracted. So I put the food down and I forgot to take a video because something happened. But in the video, my plan was, okay, I'll put the food down and then I'll get distracted. I'll go do something and I'll record my dogs not eating their food because I know they won't. So I got distracted. I went to go do something and then I got distracted again. So I ended up making my coffee and then I got distracted again and I ended up taking the garbage out or so whatever it was. So then I go back to my dogs and they're still sitting there staring at their food, drooling, waiting for me to release them to eat their food. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, guys, I'm sorry. So I release them. They eat their food. No big deal. Right. Wonderful puppies. I congratulate them. They're fantastic. I I'm always reminded of how fantastic they are. So what happened there? I happened to act naturally just because that's what happened in life. And throughout all the training that we've done, we've set up that scenario for success. Through the training, I've accidentally turned around. I've moved away. I've walked away. I've gone out of the room and came back and I've tripped and I've stumbled and I've, I've been goofy and I've ran around and I've kicked their food and all that kind of stuff. I've acted as natural as I possibly could in a structured situation, right? The structured training situation so that my dogs didn't realize there was a difference between training and real life. And in this case, it was a perfect, perfect example of it. I 
thought about training. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to train my dogs to be natural and that kind of thing in this session just so I could get it and put it on um, the internet so you guys could see it. And instead, what naturally happened was I forgot about something. I had to go do something else. I came back and did this and that and that. And I just I forgot that they were sitting there waiting for their food. So how do you go about doing that? You have to be aware of what you're doing. Right? You have to be self-aware of what you're doing. Someone just posted on TikTok the other day. They were commenting on another trainer that their hand was always in the pocket. Now, I didn't go into depth or they didn't go into depth rather of why their hand was in their pocket. I could assume a couple things, whether they have an e-collar in their pocket or whether they have treats in their pocket. But the dog's going to pick up on that hand in the pocket. And once the hand comes out of the pocket, there's a different scenario there. So do you walk with your hands in your pockets? Do you walk with your hands outside your pockets? Do you do training with your hands in your pockets versus outside your pocket? You should change these variables so much that your dog doesn't realize there's a difference. Do I have my left hand in or my right hand in? Do I have it in my back pocket, my front pocket? Do I have it in my, my pouch or my sweatshirt? And I used to put treats in all those places. I even put them in the back of the hood. I'd put a tennis ball or treats in the back of the hood and I'd randomly reach behind me and then toss treats on the ground when we were training. Why do I do this? At some point, sometime, some way, somehow, my dogs are not going to be expecting a treat or a reward or praise. And I don't want them only thinking about rewards coming from a certain spot. I don't want them thinking about training being one way. Training is always, all the time. Always, always. <laughs> training is always and always happening. That's a pretty good uh, slogan. Maybe I'll make that a t-shirt. Training is always and always, all, A-L-L, ways, happening. It's always happening. There's always things going on. And in all different ways, things are going on. I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. I like it. <laughs> I like the slogan. If you guys like the slogan, please comment it on social media. Just be like always slash all ways. Anyway. So if you're struggling with acting naturally, here's some things you could do. Number one, you could record yourself, right? Just set up a video camera, set up your phone, right? Every phone, most of phones, I don't want to say every phone, but most phones have a video camera on it. And it's a wonderful quality video camera. Take advantage of it. Set it up. You don't even need a tripod. You get some books. You get the dog training cheat codes book. Use that as a prompt. Place the phone in it. Record yourself or just put it in a mug. I love using mugs. I think they're fantastic. It angles a little bit too much, but... Sometimes you can get away with it. Record yourself. Study what you're doing. You should be doing this anyway to progress in your training, but you should be studying what you're doing and then studying what your dog is doing. Ooh, okay, I, I, I stepped way too close to their paw and they panicked and that's why they got up from their down. Or maybe I need to work on that, right? If me moving towards my dog gets them to move away from me, oh, well, that's a problem, right? They haven't learned that naturally I'm going to move towards them. I used to just trip. On purpose, I would trip over my dog, not touching them, but I would stumble. And at first, it startled them. They're like, oh, what are you doing? But that is most likely going to happen at some point in our lives. At some point, I'm going to trip on something. It's just, I'm a big man. I got big feet and I live in a tiny apartment. At some point, and I do it all the time, at some point, I'm going to trip and my dogs are going to panic and I don't want them to panic. I'd much rather expose them to a small amount of stress with the opportunity for high levels of reinforcement in training, then not set them up for success and adding way too much stress and trying to fix it 
in real life, right? If, if I can set them up when I trip to be super easy for them, right? I might start five feet away, trip. They go, oh, that's weird, dad. You got a weird uh, a gate there, or stride. <laughs> I fall and I give them a treat and they go, oh, okay. So every time this guy trips, I get a treat. That's kind of funny. It's like American funny at home videos, right? So <laughs> they start to make a positive association to whenever I fall. They think it's a good thing. Then I can get closer and closer and now I can step over my dogs. I can practically trip on them and they'll be totally fine. That is much better than if every single time I tripped in real life, they panicked, they freaked out. And in some cases, dogs will actually become aggressive because it's just a, a fight response. They can't go anywhere because you're tripping over them, right? So they jump up and they bite you. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to my family, right? My two-year-old, my two-year-old's going to trip at some point. He's going to smack his face into the ground. Hopefully it doesn't happen too bad, but at some point it's going to happen. He's a two-year-old. And if it happens to be on my dog, my dog is going to go, oh, you're just like dad, <laughs> right? He's not going to go, oh my God, he's coming to attack me. Oh no, you're just like dad. You, you, you're nuts. <laughs> and that's what I would much rather happen, rather have happen. I'd much rather have that happen than scare my dogs or have my dogs stressed out because they don't know what to do. So you can record yourself. You can see, what am I doing? What is my dog doing? You can have someone else watch you or you can watch them. If you, if you feel awkward about watching yourself, watch them and then study their mannerism. It's not going to be perfect because it's not your mannerisms. Your mannerisms are the one that matter because it's you. But if you can watch other people and mimic their mannerisms, figure out what they do or don't do, or things that they do wrong, you can then make sure that you don't do it in your next training session. The other thing I like to do is schedule out the things that I think are most common that I do. Tripping, turning around, getting distracted, uh, flailing my limbs, right? My arms and my legs, move them around, put my hands in my pocket, pull them out, pick something up, put it down, those kinds of things, just natural things that happen. Opening doors, closing doors, forgetting something, opening the door and then forgetting something is huge. I, d I literally did yesterday. My dog was in a sit waiting to go outside the door. I opened up the door and then I forgot my hat. So I, I went like three feet away. I grabbed my hat. I put it on. And my dog's just sitting there with the door open. Nobody left. Right? And the other dog, right? So the dog I'm taking out is on leash. The other dog is in the same room off leash. He's not going outside. And he knows he's not going outside because of routine. But he didn't even try to run out the door because we know that you don't go outside the door unless I go with you. And because I went to go get my hat, that means we're not going outside the door. So those kinds of things. Oh, I got to grab something. I got to pick something up. I got to move something. I'll put my dog in a downstay and move a laundry basket. Super simple. Super, super simple. But it makes the world of a difference to my dog in how they learn. They have to learn in the situations that I need them to learn. I can't just go to a training facility in a nice wide open space with this perfectly squishy floor and expect my dog to translate all of that information into the everyday life. You have to practice at home. That's personally why I think you are the best person to train your dog at home. And that's why I offer virtual coaching, virtual dog training. It doesn't make sense for me to bring you here to my house or for us to go to a park unless that's where the problem behaviors are occurring. It doesn't make sense for us to do that if really what you need is your dog to respond and listen to you 
in the environments that you're most likely to be in. With that being said, you should be bringing your dog everywhere you possibly can. Not enough people do this. Understandably, if you have an aggressive dog or you have a reactive dog, it's very difficult. But the more places you bring your dog, the more places you train your dog, one, the faster they're going to progress because they realize, oh, this happens all the time. This is just life now. Second, the faster they're going to get used to the new environments. There's a rule of 12 with puppies, and I think it goes up as dogs get older. The rule of 12 with puppies says that in the socialization period of puppies, 4 to 16 weeks, they should be exposed to 12 different types of people, 12 different types of tiles and surfaces and grass and those kinds of things, 12 different types of sensations, you know, all those different things. There should be a rule of 12. So if you're going to expose your dog to surfaces, they should be on wood, they should be on tarp, uh, tile, carpet, grass, granite, cement, sand, right? Tarp, just 12 different surfaces so that they can be well socialized to those things. As your dog gets older, those should keep growing. I can't think of 12 off the top of my head. I'd have to sit down and kind of write them out, but squishy floor, a trampoline, right? Those kinds of weird things. If you exposed a young puppy within reason, if you exposed a young puppy to those things in a positive way and built positive associations, they would have no problem in the real world, right? Greats, those greats in, if you live in the city where dogs walk over and um, it's a metal grate and it goes straight down to like the sewer. If those are see-through, some dogs will jump right over those or run to the side because they don't want to step over that thing because they can see straight down and that makes them panic. Same thing with those stairs. If you had slotted stairs, dogs see straight down and it feels like they're floating, I guess. I can't know for sure because dogs don't speak English, but some dogs get freaked out about it. If you had done that every day, if that was your natural way to get home, let's say, from your walk, they would eventually get used to it. And if you spent the time to train them, they'd get used to it a lot faster. That's huge. That's huge. You spend the time to do that. Now their natural everyday life gets incorporated into training. And you don't have to set out time to train it outside of your natural life. You just have to make sure that you're thinking about it in your natural life. And that's really what it comes down to. How can I transition training from being training sessions to focusing on training in my everyday life? Can I spend five minutes here or there doing a training session? Can I bring treats with me on a walk? Absolutely. Can I bring my dog to Lowe's? Absolutely. Of course, if you're being, you know, if you're busy or you're, you're grabbing cement or something that requires a lot of your attention, fine. But if you're going to Lowe's for a box of nails or screws, bring your dog with you. Yes, the first time is going to be stressful. The second time is going to be stressful. The third time is going to be stressful. The fourth time is going to be stressful. Maybe the fifth, maybe the tenth time, maybe the twentieth time is going to be stressful, depending on the level of engagement you have with your dog. But what should that tell you? Man, I got to do a lot more training outside of Lowe's and build this engagement so I can go to Lowe's and not feel worried. If you do the training right and you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever you go, your dog's going to go, oh my God, this is great. I get to hang out with mom and dad more, right? I get, I get to go with them. This is great. And then you start to feel good because your dog is improving. You get positive reinforcement, not only from your dog improving, but probably other people are going to be like, wow, oh my gosh, your dog is fantastic. Where'd you learn about that? And you're going to say, oh, Michael Aceta from the Acknowledged Dogs podcast and Matador Canine Brilliance. They give me all this information and I use it 
And now my dog is fantastic. <laughs> so when you go to Lowe's, when you go to Home Depot, when you go to all these places, you have the opportunity to reward your dog in a natural setting by doing things that you do naturally. That's what happened with my dogs. We were moving a lot. They had to come with us everywhere. They went to the laundromat with us. They went to stores with us. They went to classes with us when we were in college. When I say us, I mean me and my family. Right? They went to the barns with us, not the bar, the barns, the horse barns, the cow barns. They saw all these animals and we did training around these animals. They went to wide open fields. They had to be in the car with us for four or five hour long drives. So they were constantly engaged with us and we would have them relax in the car. Right? We didn't necessarily put them in crates at first, although we did eventually. But we wanted them to feel comfortable in the car. So we taught them how to relax. We could say relax and they would lay down in the back seat, but they would lay down in their crate. We had to teach them not to jump out of the crate because we'd be on the highways, right? Doing this long road. We'd have to get gas. We park. We open up the trunk. We don't want them running out right into the highway. No, we got to put the leash on. So we open up the gate. We put the leash on. Now we can let them out of the crate or now we can let them out of the trunk so they can go to the bathroom. Those natural occurrences that happen are insanely important to a dog's development and the development of your training. And the only way our dogs are going to get solid and reliable and as natural as possible and listening in all these environments was to go to those environments. You can't skimp on the real. It's not virtual reality. Right? I think about it like this. If you played a video game and you had $100 million in that video game, that does not equal your bank account. Maybe one day it will <laughs> with the metaverse. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe one day it will. But the reality of it is you have to put in the work in real life in order to see the engagement that you want. You can't just do the training in a training scenario or a training session in a facility with all the lights and the camera. You know, you can't just do it there. You have to do it out in the real world. It has to be applicable to the real world. If you exist in a place with a lot of woods, you should be doing training in the woods. If you exist in a city, you should be doing a training in heavily populated areas within reason. If your dog is struggling or stressed, you shouldn't be doing it in those areas because they're not ready for those areas. But your life, as natural as it can be, should have your dog included in it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you've gathered at least one piece of good information, and this episode was positively reinforcing for you. I appreciate you spending your time educating yourself and hanging out with me. If you're looking for professional dog training, head over to matadorcanine.com. We offer free consultations and virtual coaching for dog owners all around the world. We just had a session the other day with a gentleman from Italy. So thank you for Italy for joining my little map of the world. <laughs> if you're looking for professional dog training, I am your guy, matadorcanine.com, and I'll see you in our first session. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'll see you soon.